0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: It's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy Podcast and author of the book Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. And friends, I wrote Finding Holy in the Suburbs because I wanted to help people connect the dots between the things that really matter and our everyday holy lives. Because most of the time when we talk about the things that matter, it's big abstract words. And then when we talk about our everyday lives, it's just our to-do list, and we are here to connect the dots. And that's what we're going to do today with my friend and guest, Kara Meredith. Here's a little bit more about our guest. Kara Meredith is an author and speaker from the San Francisco Bay Area. Her first book, The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice, just released this past February. She writes for various online and print publications, speaks all over the country, and blogs regularly at Coloring Outside the Lines on Patheos. But mostly, Kara just loves hanging out with her husband and their two young sons, whom she considers the most endearing and hilarious humans on earth and Kara brings some of that hilarity to our conversation. We laugh, we talk about the laundry, we talk about race, and what does it look like to empathetically move towards people who are different from you. You'll definitely want to stick around because at the end, I'm gonna talk about just one small step where you can bring some of what Kara's learned and her wisdom into your everyday holy life. So. Here's my interview with Kara. Well, I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Kara Meredith, onto the Finding Holy podcast. Kara and I are friends and writers together, and it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Well, Kara has just come out with her very first book called The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. And as we talk on the Finding Holy podcast, we want to connect all these big ideas, whether they're about theology, race, culture, so many different things into our everyday life. And I thought Kara would be so wonderful as a white woman married to a black man and kind of in this legacy of racial justice. She'll be a great person to listen to and to learn from. So I'm super excited. I want to start off, Kara. The impetus for your book really came out of an article that just got shared everywhere. So could you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Three years ago, I had an editor that I had worked with a little bit at um, a website called For Every Mom. So it was just a mom website. Uh, she contacted me and said, hey, I would love to have some sort of article run about your story. She knew a little bit about my history and just where I had come from. And um, so I said, sure, I'll put something together. And the article blew up, like you said. Um, it was very unexpected, but the article was about my journey as a white woman into issues of race, like you just said. But um, Very much coming from a white suburban background, and then really upon meeting and marrying a black man. Um, But part of it also was meeting and marrying the son of a civil rights icon. And what that meant to enter into history, to realize that this wasn't just black history, but Mm -hmm. this was um, our collective history as a whole. This was American history. Um, And then also beginning to understand what it means to raise mixed race or biracial children. Mm. Um, So that was almost three years ago. It was never the um, article that I thought I would write. And the book that ended up stemming from it was never the book I
1: thought I would write. I totally agree. I think it's super funny how the books that we end up writing might be very different from the books we think we should write. And yet, The Color of Life is an excellent book. It's a thoughtful book and a memoir about racial justice and what it looks like as a white person to step into those issues. So I'd love to hear, Kara, where that began. And if you're willing, I'd also, I'm curious about the religious aspects too. How does that affect your faith?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a lot of questions. And I know. So I probably <laughs> I will probably circle around it and not actually get to what
1: you just I'll help asked you. Me. It'll but be okay.
0: <laughs> one anecdote from my childhood um, was just not believing that issues of race had anything to do with me and mm. not believing that because I was white. Um, I remember in elementary school, um, I went to a public elementary school, but at the height of the '80s, uh, being being raised and taught to believe that we were colorblind, mm. and that's what came down from the principal, from really from the school district as a whole, was that we lived in a colorblind society, um, and really that was actually a, a, that that was actually an historical um, reaction to the civil rights movement. So. Mm. Um, across the United States, school districts and churches and all sorts of different groups adopted a colorblind rhetoric because they said, okay, if we had all these problems, especially at the height of the 60s, if we had all these problems that were maybe more blatant when it came to issues of race, then we're going to react with the exact opposite um, point of view and we're Hmm. going to be colorblind. So I grew up with believing that colorblind was what I needed to Hmm. uh, what I needed to see, what I did not see race, or I did not see color in my classmates who were not white. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the same in the church. It was the same in um, believing that Jesus was white. I literally did not even realize that Jesus could have been a dark-skinned Palestinian man until Mm -hmm. probably my 20s. Right. And, and, and or maybe I heard it, but I didn't picture it in that way. Right. So I think that was a big part of my childhood. As far as it, um, goes with my adulthood, it's a journey I'm still on. Um, mm-hmm. I think for every single one of us, especially if we're, um, if we're European American um, mm-hmm. or of Caucasian descent, then ours is always going to be a learned experience, not a lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I mean, I can pinpoint a number of different examples, but Uh, this moment is poignant. Um, the, our third date we were in, we were, we went over to James's house. We were in his living room and, um, there's this awesome music playing in the background and we're drinking a glass of wine. We're sharing this Epic bottle that we had had a couple of days before because we had like eight day, eight dates in 14 days. We were (laughs) fast and furious. We were 30 and 41. We were a little ready to get married. Yeah. Um, But that being said, um, he sat me down on his couch and he pulled out a stack of books, um, of of photography books, and he Mm -hmm. opened them up to pictures of Dr. King and his dad and his dad in all different sorts of situations in the civil rights movement. And I had no clue Mm who his dad was. Yeah. I probably read about him as an education major in college, but I had no clue who he was. It went in one ear and out the other because it was my privilege not to know. So a lot of the book, honestly, is um, realizing my privilege Mm. and from that entering into greater conversations of justice Mm. and race.
1: Mm. And how does your faith inform you in that posture? Like, how are you able to kind of, you know, make mistakes to keep trying to, you know, to relate to your husband and his family, and you know your brothers and sisters of color in the church, and yeah, make mistakes and yet still keep trying. What does that look like for you and your spiritual discipline?
0: Absolutely, I think that's something that I'm still learning. Um, mm-hmm. Technically, my book is a spiritual memoir, and so a lot of it is my journey into that. But um, there's been a transformation for me in believing that justice is interwoven into who we are as believers into. Mm-hmm who the church is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the um, more white church has forgotten about that and mm-hmm. um, thinks that justice is a choice, just as um, they might think or we might think that issues of race are a choice mm-hmm. of what we can or cannot enter in. But what does it mean to believe in the God of justice, the, mm-hmm. the God who, um, who fights for the underdog, who lifts up the oppressed and the marginalized, um, the God of Israel? So what, mm-hmm. what does that mean? to embrace that and for me that has meant um, identifying the ways in which I've continued to seek power and privilege especially in the church mm-hmm. and and how that is so easily been given to me and a lot of that has to do with the color of my skin it's yeah. not always given to me because I'm a woman and that's maybe another conversation for another time right but um, it's it's one of those that that power and privilege have always been mine and so what does that mean in a faith context? to lay down my privilege and to seek to raise up the voices of those who have been silenced.
1: Mm. And I know you're even doing that in your book tour.
0: Yes. I am so excited about the book tour. And um, to those of you listening all over the United States, (laughs) um, I realize that um, as a white woman who is talking about issues of justice, race, and privilege, I Cannot and I've realized this through my mistakes, but I cannot just get up there to talk about this by myself because optics alone mean that I've missed the point. So um, what what we are seeking to do, and I say we because it's it's a collective we of everyone who's joining in. But mm-hmm. what does it mean to embrace this picture and um, of the color of life and on the book tour and on these different events that we're starting to put together? Um, I am not just getting up there to read from my book. That would be great. But again, that would miss the point. So in every single, um, city and uh, I mean, I say city and some are, are small house parties, mm-hmm. some are church events, some are bookstores. Uh, one is going to be at a shoe store, which is awesome, <laughs> there you uh, go. but we have all sorts of different things, but I'm trying to do one of three things, um, at every single event that is, uh, first, I would either have a conversation with, dialogue with, a person of color who's read the book. Mm-hmm. And he or she and I could come together. It would be like sitting on the couch, and we would talk, and it's okay for us to disagree. Um, it's, okay, it's okay for us to agree, but we come together um, around a common understanding of modeling conversation mm-hmm. because that's the first place we have to start mm-hmm. is, is by beginning to have conversation. Um, the second is that we would, um, in, in some church, some churches, some cities are setting this up, but that we would have a panel of different folks, and so um, they different people, including myself, will be able to share about their experiences. But um, we would we would make a we would make an effort to have people of color up there who mm-hmm. are able to tell their story. And the mm-hmm. third is that. Um, in some cities we're having artists of color. So it's simply going to be a showcasing event that I would read, but then we're also featuring two or three other artists of color. um, Mm -hmm. So that everyone then has the chance to promote their work, but also be supported in their work. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just been super exciting um, to see this happen. Um, And I mean, I, yeah, I am flabbergasted and honored and, so, so encouraged and excited. Um, and I also can't wait to learn because every time I get up there and enter into a conversation, I'm learning.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's so great. Would you mind just, I think, you know, there might be a lot of us who don't know how to start these conversations and like the idea of having, you know, a conversation. Um, you know, they haven't really asked, you know, their Asian American friend. About, like, how does race influence their experience? They would just kind of maybe at the school drop off line, we're just talking about our kids. Um, and we don't know how to like enter into these conversations about race. Or we don't even, you know, we might be participating in that colorblind rhetoric that, you know, this isn't something we need to talk about. How would you help us who are white, just like you and just like me, to begin to enter those conversations in a kind of a real life, practical way?
0: Absolutely. I would say the very first thing is to start by listening. (laughs) So my motto is to listen, learn, and listen some more. Mm. And that means that I am, in particular, I'm paying attention to and I'm listening to people of color around me. And that's both in real life, but also online, who um, have been talking about this for... Their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now entering into the conversation. So I think the first thing is to listen and learn. Um, At the back of my book, I have a list of resources of Mm -hmm. um, 16 books that people can enter into. Um, Almost all of those are by people of color, and that's purposeful. So Mm -hmm. um, the recommended reading section has books on exploring race and justice in America, working toward healing and justice in the church embracing new narratives of history. Mm -hmm. And then the last section, which is primarily for people who identify as white, is understanding the privilege of whiteness. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, and that maybe that goes along with listening and learning, but, but the learning part of it, um, as soon as we begin to understand that our normal is not necessarily everyone else's normal, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a bottom line, um, definition of privilege, Mm -hmm. then maybe we begin to listen to those Mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as it goes with, um, with the, the other mom or dad in a school drop-off line, I think it, it does start by entering into friendship. And so, no, you're not going to like stand next (laughs) to um, (laughs) the parent of a kid, you know, that you don't know and be like, so what's it been like?
1: To be black in America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you
0: don't do that. No, no. don't do that. But you can be intentional with your friendships. Um, you know, we're very intentional, James and I, when we look around our dining table and just go, okay, who's joining us for dinner? Um, mm-hmm. If the only people who are joining us for dinner are people who look like me, then um, we're, we're missing the point. Um, mm-hmm. So what does it mean to be intentional about entering into friendships with... Um, with everyone. <laughs> right, right. You know, so I mean, I think that's where um, it, it starts with an
1: awareness. Maybe that's mm-hmm, what it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think okay. that's really helpful. And so, you know, as we're talking, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, how I grew up and where I live, which tends to be rather white and affluent. Um, but there is a lot more diversity in socioeconomics, in religion, in race, I think, than we tend to kind of paint over places, you know, with a broad brushstroke of like, it's all white upper middle class when it's actually much more diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any thoughts for us on like, how do we go pursue more diverse friendships? um, And what's the benefit? Why do we want to do that? Because I think it's so, it's natural, right? For all of us to kind of hunker around people and things and places and experiences where everyone is like us. Um, And so how do we, why should we? move out beyond those confines?
0: Um, I don't think we were created to be comfortable. Yeah. I Amen. Don't think, Preach uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think, I don't think Jesus intended um, Christians or Christianity or this movement of um, the kingdom of God to be one of comfort. And mm. um, it is very easy for us to be comfortable. And I say us, and I'm primarily speaking of white people. Um, Mm. because, because you can look at reports, um, of those who identify as white and, um, the number of, of, of people of color that they're friends with and the opposite of that there's different experiences. So I can only speak from my experience, but, um, I don't think we were made for comfort. And so, um, when it comes to entering into relationships, and I'll try to find, I don't even know if I'll be able to find it, but I wrote about this a couple of years ago, um, about, about entering into friendships mm-hmm. with um, people who don't look like you. It's imperative. And yet, it's not, it's not about tokenism. It's not about just getting someone who doesn't look like you to sit at the table, but it is about noticing who is and isn't there. It is about noticing who you are and aren't inviting.
1: Right. Right. Um, And you just think about Jesus, right? I mean, he dined with people all over the spectrum. Everyone had it out for him based on who he ate with. Yeah, Um, but it was surprising, and that's what the kingdom of God looks like, right? So I don't,
0: so I don't know what that would be in your particular context, but I don't think that any of us live in all white contexts, right? If we identify as white, I think that we maybe exist in mostly white bubbles. Uh, but we're just not seeing right. those who um, don't look like us.
1: Right. And part of it might be even asking, praying, right? And saying, God, like, open my eyes. Let me see, get, you know, margin in our time and our schedules. Because if we want to look like Jesus, then we have to be able to be misunderstood and confused and, and make mistakes and apologize. But it means that we're in relationship with people who are vastly different than us. For yeah, the pursuit we, we of get the proximate. Kingdom. Yeah. So,
0: so God, let me see who I'm not seeing
1: because
0: mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. I'm not seeing someone right. that I need to be seeing mm-hmm. because what would your eyes see? So give right. me eyes to see, which maybe mm. is the scariest prayer we can pray.
1: Definitely. It is a scary prayer. Ah, thank you for that question though. It's wonderful for us to continue to think about. So Kara here on the Finding Holy podcast, season two, we're talking about embodied faith, because we want to connect the dots between all of these big ideas like race and justice and the gospel and what does that actually look like in our ordinary lives. And what does that look like in our bodies? Because I think at least in evangelicalism, we can tend to think of our faith as intellectual. So for you, what does that look like in your tradition? What does it look like to have an embodied faith?
0: Mm. Great question. Um, you know, you and I are good friends, and and we are primarily friends through the mode of Voxer, yes, um, which is a fantastic on uh, walkie-talkie app, if you're ever interested.. Um, <laughs> But you've been privy to my journey over the last couple of years in, um, discovering and finding and being baptized into the Episcopal church. Um, and one of the things that, that hands down has been lovely to me has been this embodiment that is found within the church that is woven within to the practices, um, there's a great book called the, uh, I believe it's called the road to Canterbury trail, but it's, Mm. it's about evangelicals who have stepped um, into the um, Anglican space, but specifically the Episcopal church, Episcopal space within Anglicanism. Um, But it does talk about the embodiment of our faith that, Mm. um, you know, I think I was raised in a tradition that was very much stand up, sit down. um, You're, you're listening a lot more than you're doing with your body. Mm. um, And, and so that is it has been a joy for me to uh, to learn how to cross myself, mm-hmm. uh, to teach my children how to do that, to to stand up and sit down, to kneel, to smell um, the smells and the bells of the <laughs> church, what yeah. they are often what they are called, um, to taste the bread and the wine, the body of Christ, every single week mm-hmm. in and through the Eucharist. That it's not just a um, once a month extra long Sunday service, mm-hmm. um, but that i 'm entering in i 'm coming to the common table um, and I think all of that as it as it relates to my faith, um, I have been on a journey of inclusion, and so there 's been a journey of inclusion over the last couple of years in realizing that all are welcome at the table, mm-hmm. and there is something about going and um, marching up to the front and kneeling. Um, excuse me, kneeling before and receiving the elements and doing that alongside everyone else Mm -hmm. um, who for a long time I excluded from the table. Mm. Um, So I suppose that's the roundabout way of saying that's how it relates to my book Mm -hmm. um, and that my book has been a journey of Again, realizing my privilege, realizing the power that I held, hoping that I'm then um, in this realizing uh, that I'm then laying that down and coming mm-hmm. to the common table of grace.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> Communion rocks. <laughs> <laughs> or the Eucharist,
0: as we call it. I in the know. Church. <laughs>
1: I'm Presbyterian, so
0: <laughs>
1: the Lord's Supper.
0: The Lord be with you.
1: And also with you.
0: See, look, we share a common language. Uh
1: I like to close out each of the episodes here on the Finding Holy podcast and ask people about their laundry routine. So Kara, what's your laundry routine?
0: I don't know if I would call it routine as much as I would call (laughs) it um, realizing that something needs to get done because we don't have any clean underwear. Right. So um, I was thinking about it the other day my husband is generally the one who washes the dishes. I am generally the one who washes the clothes. Right. If either one of us try and switch, and maybe we're we're wading into waters of like complement complementarianism or egalitarianism, and that's not what I'm actually going for here. <laughs> but if if we try and switch those roles, then something goes askew. So right. If I try and do the dishes, the dishes don't get done. If he tries and do, to do the laundry, then. Like he takes it out of the dryer and doesn't fold it right. and just puts it in a laundry basket. And then I have to put it back in the dryer and fluff it up. Right. So the routine that so found
1: happened. ways to make it work.
0: <laughs> so yes, I do the laundry. Um, I enjoy the laundry because it's a moment of quiet. Mm. Um, I would love to say that I go into the laundry room and that's this holy oasis of a space and I pray, but really <laughs> I just relish in the quiet. I Sometimes think that, I that
1: can be podcast. a form of prayer too, I think, right? It's just like it's quiet and I am thankful and I know God is here abiding with me even if I'm not all holy.
0: Yes. Um, you're much holier even in that statement than I am. I'm just (laughs) relishing in like the tumble of the machine. Mm, Um, but you can read into that all you want and believe that I'm actually then praying a prayer. But really, I'm just (laughs) like, thank you, sweet baby Jesus, that my children are in the other room and that they do not at this point in their lives enjoy folding laundry.
1: Right. Maybe that is a prayer. There you go. There you go. Who knew? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been so fun. And so whether you are a dishwasher or a laundry person, whatever you do, take a little bit of quiet.
0: Mm. Or if you have a personal maid or butler, please send them my way. Oh, At- no, I get dips. <laughs> oh. You do have twice the amount of children. I, I support you
1: in that. All right. Thanks, Ira. Okay. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kara Meredith. She is a blast. She's an Enneagram seven. And so we just had such a good time, which is wonderful because even though there's big things, things like church culture, racism, social justice, really big, heavy words, we need to laugh too. And that's just another small step about how we connect the good news of the gospel into our everyday holy lives. So I hope you'll share the episode with someone who might need a laugh or a new idea on their laundry routine or might just need one small step to begin to take some of these large questions, things about race and social justice and parenting into their everyday holy lives. So go ahead, tag us on social media with... Finding Holy Podcast, and we would love to connect further. Make sure you subscribe as well so you can catch all of the great conversations that move us forward in the life of faith. We'd love it if you could head on over to the show notes at slash podcast, and there you'll be able to connect with Kara, check about her speaking, and pick up a copy of her book, The Color of Life. And now I want to leave you with just one small step. I'd love for you this week to pick a place for a prayer and if you've read my book finding holy in the suburbs you know i'm all about place because places shape our loves and so pick a small place maybe it's your laundry room maybe it's your break room at work maybe it's your stairs as you climb to your apartment maybe it's your kitchen wherever it is pick a place and then ask one question as a form of prayer god who would you have me see And I pray that as you ask that question in that place again and again throughout your week, that the Holy Spirit would give you a little bit of a nudge to know who you need to see, and that you would then move toward them in love, that you would have intentional friendships like Kara mentioned, and that we would be again, begin to move towards one another. So let us know how your one small step goes. And remember, wherever you find yourself. The big things matter, but so does the laundry.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu HDL.